Uh, my name's Rick, and it's good to be with you today. Uh, it has been an exciting week in the life of our church. I'm hoping that this morning you're hopefully not analyzing the preacher just as much as you might have been uh, last Sunday morning. Uh, but I pray that as we move through the, the rest of this service, that God would continue to speak through his word. We're looking at John chapter 17 and considering what he might have to say to us through it. If you just flick your eyes to the screen, there's a little video which I came across a couple of weeks ago, um, which hopefully will, will come on. I'll just um, talk through it, I think. Um, I came across this little prank that was played on the building site, David McNaught. I don't know if this is common practice, but here is a young man, a young builder, being challenged by an older builder to lift him, and then he says that he'll be able to lift him, and so he's trying his best, not able to do it, you know, the young man trying his best, and then the old man shows him how it's done. <laughs> Completely unbeknown to him. He carries on and tries again, and has a go. Still confused, still not sure, challenged again. I'll show you how it's done. Still completely oblivious. There we go. And he gets more and more confused, and you can look it up if you want. We can uh, move on. That that's kind of it continues for two or three times before he realizes what is happening. And for me, that video is almost like a an illustration sometimes of our spiritual lives and particularly maybe our prayer lives at times. When it comes to prayer, maybe it feels to us like we are doing all the heavy lifting, that it's all dependent on our words and our prayers and our strength when actually there is a power far greater than us who is really doing all the heavy lifting. Over the last few weeks here in Carmony, we've been considering how we've been and we are discipled by Jesus. And the truth is that we cannot grow as disciples without someone else lifting us. We cannot grow as disciples without Christ. Discipleship equals dependence, dependence on Jesus. And discipleship is stunted without prayer or without dependence on him. We can't do it on our own. And when we think about prayer and our prayer lives, there can be so much focus at times on the strength of what we pray, the passion of our prayer, the regularity of our prayer. How many times have you said to someone, oh, I just maybe need to pray more about that? And while we should certainly be reflecting on that, on the regularity of our prayer life and our dependence on prayer, the biggest truth when it comes to prayer that we should know is that it's not about our prayers, but we should be reminded of the truth that Jesus is praying for us. Jesus prays for us. Here, right at the very end of this series of some of Jesus' last recorded teachings before his death, we don't just have some instructions from Jesus. We hear a prayer from Jesus. And through this prayer, we get to see that we're not just dependent on our strength, but the amazing reality is that Jesus is praying for us. Romans chapter 8, verse 34 says, Christ Jesus, who died and was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. That's present tense, by the way. He's interceding for us. Think about that this morning. Jesus is interceding for you constantly and continually and regularly. And you know what? We don't get to hear the majority of those prayers that he prays for us. But here today in John 17, we get to see the content, some of the content of what Jesus prays for his disciples, and we are included in that group. 
When Jesus was praying for his disciples in John chapter 17, we are included in that. This prayer is about you. It's about us. How do we know that? Well, verse 20 said this. Jesus said, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So if you're here this morning and you have believed in Jesus through the message passed on by his followers, then this prayer is about you. And I find it incredible that around 2,000 years ago, a prayer prayed to God. Then, 2,000 years ago, God is still continuing to answer that prayer today. Isn't that amazing? It's not, it doesn't run out. So 2,000 years ago, this prayer was prayed, and God is continually answering this prayer. So the prayers, prayers that you might have prayed 12 months ago, or 12 years ago, or last week, are still known to God. They're not forgotten by him. They can still be answered. So what's the content of Jesus' prayer this morning? Jesus is praying generally in this prayer for three things, okay? He's praying that we would be united with the Father. He's praying that we would be united with one another. And he's praying that we would be united with Jesus forever in glory, okay? Those are the three directions of prayer. If, you, if your mind thinks in sporting terms, okay, it's that Jesus is praying that we would follow the coach that we would work as a team and that we would aim for the prize, okay? That we would follow the coach, that we would work as a team and that we would aim for the prize. So let's consider these three things and throughout this morning, that we would first of all be united with the Father. Jesus said, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You see, the goal of faith and discipleship is that we would be at one with God and found in him. The goal for your Christian life is that you would remain in God for all of your days. I, I'm not scared to admit it, okay, but I'm, and I may have admitted this before, I'm useless at DIY tasks, okay? And I, I just, I mean, I break out in a cold sweat thinking about it, to be honest, whether it's assembling a bookcase or the repairing of a fence or putting up a shelf or whatever. I did manage the repairing of a fence last year. But I, I feel totally ill-equipped practically. I'm drained emotionally whenever I'm doing them. And I, I'm just not good at them, okay? I'm not being good at left on my own to do a kind of practical task. But thankfully, the good news for me, maybe for you too, is that Christian faith is not a DIY task. We are not left on our own to figure things out. This is not be about being self-reliant. We must learn to lean on God. Actually, there's a kind of bizarre twist with Christi Christian faith, okay? And the bizarre twist is that the longer you journey in the Christian life, the less you should be dependent on yourself. It's usually the other way around when you learn things, isn't it? Maybe at the start, you know, you're learning a sport or a skill or learning how to cook or bake, and you need the instructions of another. You need, initially, you need to follow the instruction manual or you need to follow the YouTube clip or you need to listen to a coach or a director or whatever it is, and then you become more competent over time, and then after a while, you can throw away the recipe book or the, you don't need to look on YouTube or listen to a coach. You can do it yourself. Christian faith is actually the opposite. That actually the more we grow, the more we realize that we need to be more dependent on God. We learn to lean on God. And Jesus here prays that we would not be self-sufficient as believers, that actually we would be found in him. May they be in us, Jesus prays. And we're going to be thinking in a moment or a little bit later about how Jesus encourages us to be united with one another. But it's so important to start here 
to see that how we treat others actually flows from how we have been treated by Christ. You see, Christian unity that we're going to be thinking about this morning isn't just a kind of nice feel-good mantra. It's not just a kind of nice idea, but actually it has its foundation on how we have first been treated by God. It's rooted in a theological doctrine known as being united in Christ, united to Christ. In Romans, Paul talks about once we were enemies to God. In other words, we were outsiders to God's community. God has a community. And his community initially was Father, Son, and Spirit. That was God's community at the creation at the foundation of the world. But whenever we grasp that through Jesus' death, we have been brought into a relationship with God, it means that we've been brought in and invited in and ushered into that community. And we, as God's children, get to enjoy the benefits of being part of his family. Suddenly, we get access to the Father. We get power through the Spirit. We have relationship with the Son. In this community of God, we get to be included and part of makes me smile whenever people say, well, I like my small group just the way it is, thanks very much, and I don't really want any newcomers because they might disrupt the dynamic or the relationships that we have in the group. Well, God's small group was working perfectly fine without us. It was in perfect harmony, and yet he invited us in, he ushered us in, he welcomed us in. We are, have been, or able to have access and to be united to the Father. And Jesus is praying that we would remain in that family, that we would remain in the community of God because we've been welcomed and invited in. And then, so we get ushered into this amazing kind of God, cosmic, God-like God community. And then there's benefits that come with that. Now, there's kind of spiritual benefits that come with that too. We've been given the assurance of heaven, the benefits of forgiveness, the peace and the assurance and the presence of God with us. So that's the, like the vertical benefits, but there's also this horizontal benefit too because as sons and daughters of the Most High King, we get to become brothers and sisters of a whole army of believers, including the great cloud of witnesses, by the way, who have lived and gone before us, but also saints from every tribe and every tongue who follow Jesus today. That's an incredible thing to be a part of. Now, I know they say you can choose your friends and you don't always choose your family, okay, on earth. And that's kind of true in the spiritual sense as well. As we get ushered into the community of God, we get a whole army of brothers and sisters who we didn't necessarily choose, but actually who bring incredible blessing and benefit if we allow it. And that is why, that is why Jesus cares about unity. He cares about unity and unity of his people because he loves every single one of his children. And also because the Godhead itself lives and dwells in perfect unity. And so whenever he prays for his disciples to be united to one another, he's asking that we would reflect the very nature of God in how we live, because that will display his glory to the world. And so he encourages us or prays for us to be united to the Father, but then he prays that we will be united to one another. May they be one as we are one. 
See, Jesus' heart for his disciples was oneness, and that's his desire for his church, his church on earth today. And Dan actually reflected that a little bit in his prayer because he stood here and he prayed for another church, a church that as we, as a as Carnmoney congregation, are very pleased right now to be welcoming a new minister. Uh, there's another congregation um, 40, 50 miles away who are grieving that and who are struggling with that. And so Dan prayed for them to reflect to, that God would be with them, that he would lead them just as he's been leading us over this last 18 months. How are we reflecting God's unit, desire for unity with his church, both corporately as a church, but also individually within that church as well. You see, I want to address unity this morning, but we can't address unity without also talking about diversity. Because God has both a heart for unity and a heart for diversity within his church. You see, true community is not everyone looking and thinking the same here this morning. That's not true unity. You see, this church is part of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland, and that is a church that meets in congregations all over this island, from Coleraine to Cork, from council estates to affluent areas, across two political jurisdictions with members who identify as Irish nationalists, to British unionists, and everything in between, to those who enjoy traditional forms of worship, to those who embrace a more contemporary approach, all part of the same church. And that's why sometimes it might feel like whenever we come along kind of Presbyterian processes, at times it can feel like they jar because we are part of a diverse expression of the kingdom of God. And yet this is what the outgoing moderator of our church said this month, last month. He said, it is my prayer that our eyes when they see a new Irish person with different colored skin or our ears when they hear a different accent from Cork to Coleraine will be ready to celebrate the God-given diversity that is within the body of Christ in this place, and that such eyes and ears will say to contemporary society that in Christ we are one. And I think that captures the heart of Jesus' prayer here. Diversity, but unity in that diversity. Have a look around the room this morning. There's diversity here, isn't there? There's octogenarians, and I think there might be a three-week-old baby all in the same room, okay? There are different, um, there are different um, uh, uh, economic backgrounds. That's the word I was looking for. Different economic backgrounds. There's different political affiliations. There's different preferences of styles of methods of worship in this room, and that's okay. We have different ages, different backgrounds, different stories. Some of us have been following Jesus and part of the church all our life. Some of us have been here a matter of months and God has turned your life around. And that's healthy. It's healthy that we have all of those expressions within the church. There's diversity. We're called to diversity, but we're called to unity in that diversity. Now, it's not unity at all costs. In Christ might at times mean challenging on Christ-like behavior when we see it. It might mean protecting the vulnerable in a church family from those who seek to harm others. It might mean continuing to stand upon the Bible's truth even when it's rejected by others. You see, at times to protect unity, we might need to say to those within our midst that that's not how we act. That's not how we speak. That's not how Christ calls us to live or think. You see, unity is not some soft approach where we just nod our head and agree with everyone. 
It's actually a hard and costly path. It's learning to love those who might differ from us. It's learning to respect those who differ to us, and that requires hard work. And you know what requires effort? To build bridges across generations, to have everyone present and worshiping together. It needs selflessness to look out for the interests of others. It shows patience to listen to the opinions of others. It takes humility to offer forgiveness to someone or even seek forgiveness from someone. I can remember a few years ago being stopped in the car park out there by someone from this church who wanted to say sorry to me for something that they'd said. And I thought it said so much about that person, that they'd reflected on you know, something they'd said or behavior or whatever, and they wanted to seek my forgiveness because they understood that unity matters in the church and Jesus wants us to be one. You see, forgiveness is at the heart of unity. For us to be invited into the, commu- into the community of the creator of the world, forgiveness has been necessary. For us to be part of God's family, there has been forgiveness taking place and it enables us to enter a relationship with Jesus. Forgiveness has enabled community and so that means that for us to grow as a fellowship and as a church to be united together, forgiveness is often necessary. Being willing to accept the imperfections of others, to show forgiveness to someone else's shortcomings, that actually strengthens community and it deepens relationships. You see, conflict doesn't destroy community necessarily. It can actually develop it as we love and care and forgive one another. So maybe it's worth considering this morning, what does forgiveness look like If someone in this church has annoyed you, what does love look like to someone in this church who's going through a hard time? What does grace look like for those around the church who we might find it harder to connect with on a human level? How do we speak well about those who serve or who we serve with in this church and the work that they're doing? How do we speak about other churches around this area and community? How can we lighten the load of those who are serving relentlessly? You see, the more diverse we are, the harder unity becomes, the more effort it takes. But even in our diversity, Matt Chandler says this, what connects believers, I've used this quote before, but it's very important for this um, theme, what connects believers is the reality that we were all very messed up people, broken before a holy God, yet rescued and given new life in Christ. You see, we might be diverse here this morning, but we have something in common. And what we have in common is that we all need Jesus. Before he stepped into our lives, we were all broken before him and we've needed him. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. As we follow Jesus, it brings us into unity with one another. There's no one here that's greater or more important than another. No leader is more important than anyone else in the congregation. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. We aren't uniform, but we're called to be united. And if I'm honest, I've often experienced this in some of our meetings as elders in this church, where not everyone thinks exactly the same on every single issue. And there's freedom to express differing opinions, but when a decision has been made, there's complete unity behind that decision. There's an honoring of one another, and there's a desire to work together in what has been agreed. And that's a picture of unity for the whole body of Christ. It's been an example to me or we might not be uniform, but we can are called to be united. Jesus said, by this, everyone will know you're my disciples. By this, what was the this he was talking about? 
It wasn't our amazing programs or our brilliant sermons, but it was our love for one another, our love for one another. See, Jesus promised the world would know we are his disciples, not by our programs, but by our love. So how's that going here? Is the world, is the community out there knowing that we are Jesus' disciples by how we're treating one another? The depth of our love will be attractive to the world around us. It's where people in this community should be saying, look at how those people love one another. What is it that is at the heart of that community and it should draw people in? Something I love, if I'm honest, about the design of this building is that we can easily see others during worship on a Sunday. Now, historically, in a previous generation, church buildings weren't really designed this way. They were generally designed in a way that you would see the back of someone's head. And only that, and mainly so that you would focus on what was happening and what was being said at the front. Uh, cut out distractions so you can focus on what's being said. And it is important to remember we're actually here, really here this morning to meet with God. But I do love on Sundays that I can also take a look around me at times and notice how other people are engaging with God or singing their hearts out or engaging in prayer or encouraging others. I see faithfulness of people who've been here their whole lives. I'm challenged or I'm encouraged by seeing how God has worked in the lives of some people more recently and turned their lives around. I learn from the example of those who continue to pursue God even in the midst of pain or difficulty in their lives. And I remember as I look around, I'm part of something bigger. This isn't just me. This isn't just my idea. This isn't just my hope. I'm part of something far bigger than me. You know, church is not a society to occasionally attend. It is a family to embrace and to enjoy being part of. And we can get frustrated or embarrassed by family members at times. And sometimes that can happen with the church, but also with our family. We get to see them at their best. We've watched and seen them over the years serve others or love well or enjoy time with one another. And we might cringe at times about the family of God but we need to love the bride of Christ and learn to speak well of his, of his family. I, wanna, I don't want to celebrate Jesus on a Sunday and then grumble about his bride on a Monday. And I know that many people have decided that the thing that I've given a lot of my life to is irrelevant or unnecessary for them right now in their season of life but I refuse to believe or accept that God is finished with his church. And we've accessed a lots of Christian content out there, but for me, there is nothing that compares to meeting with God's people for worship or encouragement or teaching or small group discipleship or prayer or friendship. There's nothing like it. Belonging to the church, Jesus is saying, is not an optional extra. He prays for our unity and our unity is dependent on us being together and learning to love one another. The church is imperfect, but it's necessary. The bride of Christ is flaws, but she is loved. The family of God might be frustrating at times, but it's valuable. And Jesus longs for us to be one. In his book, Beautiful Resistance, New York pastor John Tyson writes this. There is a rumor going around the West 
that in spite of the avalanche of change and the often repeated accusation of irrelevance, a church has actually survived. Yes, she is stained, she is broken, but she is here. Her Lord is at work within her. The bride is becoming beautiful. His presence is becoming tangible. The body is becoming functional. Beauty is rising and resisting the brokenness. He will get the glory, but you and I get to be part of the process. He will get the glory, but you and I can be part of the process. And that's the whole thing. We can be united to the Father as we try to give him the glory. But we get to be united with one another and to be part of that process. And finally this morning, we are encouraged to be united with Christ. See, this prayer from Jesus reveals his future hope. We don't need to guess what Jesus hopes for or longs for. It's here. And this prayer, again, isn't just limited to Jesus' disciples who were around him, but it's for the whole world. It's a prayer about the completion of his mission. Verse 26, he said, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Jesus wants the world to know him. Not just know about him, but know him. I was reading a commentary earlier on this week on this passage and I came across this incredible statement about this part of Jesus' prayer. It really moved me and it might do the same for you. Jesus, in these final moments, as the last grains of sand trickle through the hourglass before his rendezvous with darkness, gazes across the rolling aeons of the future and anticipates the embrace of his beloved bride in the glory that is to be. Jesus, on the eve of the greatest torment of his life, was thinking about you, was praying for you. And for Jesus' prayer to be answered, Jesus knew that his humanity didn't just need intercession, but it needed his intervention. And so, yes, he prayed for us, but he didn't just intercede. He intervened for us by going to the cross. He did that to make a way for his prayer to be answered and to make it possible for people like you and I to one day be with him in glory. The song says, as wounds that mar the chosen one bring many sons and daughters to glory. See, Jesus' prayer revealed his future hope for us, but Jesus' death created a future home for us. And just like the video from earlier, it showed us that the only way to lift that heavy weight was through the help of another. Not through our own strength, our own good works, our own efforts, but through relying on the strength of someone else who has gone before us. So we should take the responsibility for the things that God has asked us and commanded us to do. But we also need to rely on him for the life and the grace that he has poured out for us. Because it's through the strength of God and it's through the sacrifice of Jesus that we can be united with Christ forever. We have a hope and a future, but it's only been made possible through Jesus. And so this prayer will be answered. God will answer the prayer of his son through the work of his son and we get invited to be part of it and to take our place. And so Jesus is praying for us. 
He's praying that you and I would be united with the Father. He's praying that we would be united together as one with believers right across, within a local church, but right across the world. And he's praying that we would be united with Christ forever. We should play our part in answering that prayer as we work together for unity with one another, as we seek to follow Jesus all of our lives. But we also rely on him and rely on his death and suffering and sacrifice that's made a way for us. You know, it's all about grace. It's all through grace. Discipleship is all flows from grace. And I want to finish this morning by showing you a video of a 13-year-old girl from just down the road in Carrick who shares about her experience of the grace of God in a difficult time of her life. There's kind of a few threads here from this morning, threads of prayer and threads of suffering and threads of grace and threads of how the prayers of other believers and the care of, of another Christian in her life helped her through. So this story is a testimony about God's grace. It's also a testimony of how Christians can care. So listen to the words and the testimony of a 13-year-old girl to tell us, and then we'll sing together before we finish. My dad has muscular dystrophy, so he is not able to do a lot of things by himself. Um, he's in a wheelchair and he just isn't very strong and not really able to support himself very much. So um, November 2020, he went into hospital. He hadn't been great for the last few weeks and um, his speech was really slowed and uh, he wasn't eating much. And he went into hospital and none of us really knew what was gonna happen. And while he was there, we found out he had pneumonia. And this was really difficult for us because um, we didn't really know what was gonna happen. Um, my brother had to come home from university and school was difficult. I wasn't really able to focus on my work. Homework was really difficult because we were all just waiting, sitting waiting for answers and those daily phone calls. And because this was really in the depth of COVID, um, we couldn't go visit him. My mom was only able to go up once a week to visit him and that was really difficult. We FaceTimed him about twice and that was the only time we really got to see him. Other than that, it was just normal phone calls and just, it was a really difficult time. I was so upset and uncertain um, that I would forget to pray. I didn't know how to pray. I wouldn't pick up my Bible. I was um, far too scared for my dad, but I knew that my church family was praying. There was a, a night um, at eight o'clock where, because we couldn't all meet up in person, everyone was praying in their homes and that just felt so powerful. And it was amazing to know that those people were there for, for all of us. That year I had become uh, friendly with a girl in my class called Emily and Emily was a Christian and she would send me uh, little videos with memory verses and um, just inspirational quotes with worship music in the background and those wee videos would really really help me. I was also able to talk to her in school and we would pray together and it was so, so helpful to have her there during that time. God's kindness was coming through Emily. Um, 
and just showing how much she cared for me and for my family and it was so amazing to know that she was thinking about us. He was really sick. Uh, he was he had a tube into his stomach for his eating um, and he he was lying uh, just still in bed and he would tell my mom the bed's moving, the bed's moving, I'm going. Um, and it was it was so difficult and he was so weak and we really didn't think he was gonna make it and we had our family coming to the house and praying for us um, but then eventually he did get out he still wasn't 100% he had a tube into his stomach all his medication he had to have and then one day the tube just fell out and he was able to eat normally again and it was all just so amazing and None of us expected him to get better, but we know that that was God's work and we're so, so grateful for it. God really did surprise us that he got better um, and now he's back to work and he's able to eat normally and laugh with us and do all the things that he used to be able to do and all the help that's come from our church family, it's just, it's been so amazing. The learning point has really been that I am able to do things that I didn't think I was able to do and I could only do that because I knew God was there, God was with me. Now that I've experienced God's grace, um, I just wanted to share this story and how amazing it all was um, and I want to be more involved in our youth and our church and just being able to help other people who have felt like there is no way out and this is just the deepest point and um, so I really want to be able to help people and in the way that others helped me. is God giving us things we don't deserve and him enabling us to do things that we wouldn't really be able to do on our own um, and him just yeah really being there for us. Mm -hmm.